Welcome to Moving the Needle on Wicket Problems, our podcast. Today, we are continuing our mini-series on racism in Canada. Uh, we want a deep dive into how racism affects our lives, and we are looking at diversity in various aspects of life in Canada. And for this episode, we will be looking at racism and diversity in politics, and in particular, how we experience it on Parliament Hill in Ottawa. In June 2020, the Senate of Canada held two historic debates on racism. Senators from across the country and around the chamber talked about the scourge that is racism and how it impacts Canadian society. We heard from senators who experienced racism in their home communities, but shockingly, their experience with racism on Parliament Hill as well, even after they became senators. For many, this was a shocking revelation about the intrinsic and deep nature of racism and how, despite reaching one of the highest offices in the country, it can still impact them. Uh, definitely, Senator. Uh, that was an illuminating and scary uh, discussion at the same time. No matter your position in society, racism isn't far behind. Now, we're coming up to close to two-year anniversary of those debates, uh, you know, where basically everyone stood up and said, rightfully, you know, we must do better. We need to do better and we need to stamp out racism. But, you know, there's a lot of questions of where are we as, a, as an institution? Where is the political society and politicians on, on questions of racism? And where is society in general, uh, you know, going to go from here uh, to deal with this issue? So we're going to look at, has there been progress made? And where are some rays of light that we can do use to improve? So this is a big topic with a lot of facets. Let's dive in and get to the interview. Today, we are incredibly privileged to be joined by three of my esteemed colleagues in the Senate, in the, Senate the Honorable Senator Yvonne Boyer, the Honorable Senator Rosemary Moody, and the Honorable Senator Salma Atta-Ullajan to help us further our understanding of racism in Canadian society. And today, we are going to obviously focus a little bit more on racism on the Hill, on Parliament Hill, in Ottawa, in politics, and that particular part of our society that is significantly important in all our conversations. So I'm going to start off with a simple question to each one of you, and it's a personal question. Uh, and the question is about how did racism affect your life personally before you became a senator? I mean, what impact did it leave? How did you feel? So we have three senators and I'm going to start with Senator Boyer, who we all know has been an advocate for years for indigenous uh, peoples. And so I think um, lead us off, Senator. Thank you. Um, thank you, Senator Omidvar. And it's a pleasure to be here today with my esteemed colleagues as well. And I'm, I'm happy to share this story. It's something that uh, certainly has pivoted me into the, my professional career and, uh, and formed part of who I am today. So when I was a little girl, I lived with my aunt. I lived with my Aunt Lucy. And my dad 
being the youngest out of 14 children, was a Cree Chippewa family that uh, came from northern United States. And uh, my aunt spent 10 years in a tuberculosis sanatorium. She went in when she was 14 and she came out when she was 24. So my bedtime stories with her were stories of what it was like to be a little brown girl in a big institution. She saw her family once in those 10 years and that's because the family was so far away and she was institutionalized. She was in a body cast for five of those years. And she talked to me about the monsters that walked the halls. Mm. And she talked to me about what it was like when your family isn't watching over you, how brown kids are treated different than white kids, and generally racism within the institution. And this was in the 20s and 30s. <laughs> and so when I grew up and I became a, a nurse before I was a lawyer, and when I was nursing, I saw what she had talked to me about many years before and it became a driving force in how my professional career was was developed because it was the racism that I was seeing within the healthcare system and the reason that people would talk to me as if I was one of them and they would say with every the, the way the Indian problem will be solved is if you sterilize all those Indian women and I, people said that to me on more than one occasion because they thought I was like them because of the color of my skin. And I, uh, it made me very angry and it possessed me to a point where I started taking night classes and I thought if I had, if I had a law degree, I could do something. I could get some tools and I could try to stop this. And that was the beginning of, of how my, my professional career was developed as a lawyer, as a nurse, and as a lawyer, and my aunt, uh, my ancestors still sit with me, and my aunt's voice is with me at all times. So that's, that's my story. Thank you so much, Senator, for sharing that, that journey, uh, which started in a negative place, and we, we hope will end in, in positive results. Let's go to Senator Moody. Thank you also for having me here today, and it's it's really my honor to be part of this group as well. I tell a slightly different story. I grew up in a Caribbean island, you know, where there are a number of people of mixed race. In fact, everybody is of mixed race around you. Um, many uh, individuals who look like me, people who achieved um, success looked like me. I saw myself in my leaders. Um, and so I grew up in a place that was, I would have to say, perhaps less of an issue from a racism point of view. Stratification in that setting was more about class and more about colonialism. Um, I, I really first met open racism when I came to, to North America. And and it is, you know, it took its forms in terms of daily events, interactions, some of them major, some of them minor, minor aggressions like people staring, following you in stores, that kind of thing that is a lot of people have that experience. Um, the microaggression, where are you from? <laughs> Who, what is your background? Was almost daily and my children lived it too. Um, and that was something that really became 
a part of my experience once I stepped into North America when I moved here. And then there were some more outright aggressions, um, people screaming at drivers, screaming at us, go back to where you came from. Neighbors who um, actually asked my kids, told my kids that one day, go back to where you came from. Um, as a young doctor, I, I'm thinking I, I probably struggled more with gender issues, not being a man, than race, but it was wrapped in there for sure, um, a bit subtler. Uh, as an, a more senior level, there was no question that at uh, the governance level and the leadership level, I was oft, often the only person looking like me there in the room. And, um, and I would hear protestations, people protesting and saying, but no, this board isn't, doesn't need diversity. We, we are not bad. We are good people. We are people of faith. We are not racist. And that was a common theme that you heard. And you, you, you had to then bring people along with the idea of why it was important to open to open up um, an institution, a governance body such as the ones we were sitting in to a more open approach. So for me, it, it is a life journey for all of us. It is we wear our skin. We can't hide who we are um, and nor should we try to, nor should we have to. Precisely. Senator Atta Olaja. Thank you, uh, Senator Omidwar. And, and, and before we, be, be, we should congratulate Senator Atta Olajan yet again for the incredible honor she has received from her country of origin, Pakistan, the star of Pakistan, I believe, certainly the star of one of the many stars in our Senate. So over to you. Thank you, Senator Omidwar, for those really, really kind words. I mean, uh, you know, to be recognized by Pakistan and by my colleagues, I'm, I'm really touched and humbled. And I'm delighted to be here with uh, Senator Boyer and Senator Modi. I mean, we work on many issues together. So for me, my experience was also uh, slightly different. I uh, came to Canada when I got married. I grew up in, um, in a very privileged family, um, you know, went to the best school um, in uh, Pakistan for girls. It was a boarding school. Um, so I think growing up there you you don't even really think of racism i mean the issues that we talk about now weren't discussed then but however being an ethnic Bukhtun, we sometimes you would get some jokes because we're we're warriors we're warriors and uh, we're very simple uh, people yes no and if we stand with you we stand with you so they would be very sometimes at the butt of you know Bukhtun jokes and but uh, you know those yeah we kind of knew how to handle that so when I came to Canada, um, I initially, I think the first shock I got was um, the building where we were in, the supervisor, uh, he, he asked me, he said, where are you from? And I said, from Pakistan. He said, oh, why are you not black? I was really taken aback by that because wow. I had, those of us who travel, who see the world, you realize that there's many races, many ethnicities, and you know all over the world and um, and I was really taken aback and I had to take some time and explain to him and say listen there's all kinds of people in Pakistan uh, you know um, I am my own family you know this you see all color of skin and all color of eyes and all color of hair um, it, it it's it's there and it's sometimes like uh, you know um, Rosemary said it's it's subtle sometimes it's outright um, 
it wasn't too bad for me in the sense that people were judging me by the color of my skin. I was very, very surprised. I was very surprised by that. And I didn't realize that just the color of your skin plays such an important part. Of course, the name Atavlijan, then they would sort of, oh, you're Armenian, of course. Um, you know, and uh, I mean, things have changed a lot since then. It's, uh, if anything, it's gotten a little bit worse because of my religion, mm -hmm. because being Muslim, um, you know, our world changed uh, drastically. And I remember having conversations with uh, some young French, uh, um, you know, men, and they were saying, but why do you want to kill me? And I said, oh my God, why on earth would I want to kill you? So it, it's, and, and the other, uh, other thing that happened with the Muslim community is that collective grief that we, and collective guilt that we feel every time something happened. And, and I would say, oh my, I hope it's not a Muslim. I hope it's not a Muslim who's done this stupid thing or who's done this horrible thing. And, you know, and people have to apologize. And my, it was my two daughters who said to me, says, we don't need to apologize. We haven't done anything wrong. How many other people apologize when someone from their religion does something? And that made me change the way I, I, I think about these things. Um, you know, racism is there. People think you can't maybe even with a name like Atarujan can't speak English properly. And sometimes I joke and I say, listen, when you speak to me, you have to speak really slowly. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't get it. So we all have, you know, burdens to bear and uh, we, and we continue to fight and, uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, by growing up, never knew racism existed. Uh, coming to North America, it, it changes your perception of the world. Thank you. Burdens to bear and strategies to embrace. Moving forward from the past, I'm going to uh, focus our attention on the very near pre uh, present, very near past three or four weeks ago, the demonstrations in Ottawa, expressions of hate on our streets in Ottawa, flags with swastikas, Confederate flags, and flags that represent other hate groups. And this was just a month ago in the Canada that we know <coughs> to be, you know, sort of a generally speaking, polite, cohesive, inclusive society. And my question is to Senator Moody. What did that exp expression of outright racism on Parliament Hill in Ottawa, what does that mean? What does that tell us about our country? Thank you, Senator Omidvar. Uh, let me start by saying that, and just expressing what is obvious is that not everyone in the crowd that day for those weeks was a racist or a bigot. Um, certainly we noticed that um, the particular, the organizers and the original, shall we say, group embraced a number of other causes, people who were there for other reasons. Uh, and it is noticed notable that people felt comfortable exhibiting these hateful symbols and thoughts and values in public. Having said that, I believe that the expression of racism in that demonstration, in that occupation, is really a symptom, a recurring symptom of a disease that is ever present. 
that over the years may have been buried somewhat, but it's a reminder that these feelings, these beliefs, this hatred, bigotry still really does exist, even when it, it may have gone underground, so to speak. It may have appeared to become more quiet, more dormant. Unfortunately, we cannot yet say, despite the work that we have done individually and collectively, that hatred is no longer common language. In fact, it, it is these events uh, certainly prove that these feelings are alive and well. And that's what it meant for me. Okay. So it's a, it's a, it was a timely reminder that we should not get so comfortable believing a myth of Canada as being in a, in cast in a certain way. Senator Boyer, uh, you're an expert on this, given your background. There's been a lot of talk about systemic racism. Uh, you know, there are politicians, institutional leaders and pundits who say there is no such thing in our chamber. It was actually stated there is no such thing as systemic racism. Do you think it is important to have a definition of systemic racism or do you think we should leave it to evolve? because systems are complex and systems evolve in different ways. What are you more comfortable with? Thank you, Senator Omidvar. Um, it's difficult because right at this particular time, I'm immersed in the systemic racism within the healthcare system. And when we look at institutions, we, we can define we can define what it is, but that will be like a, a living tree. It'll keep moving and evolving. And uh, and I, I would hate to see it get stuck on one definition and then having a very particular view of, of what that one narrow definition is, because I think it changes as, as we've just seen by uh, Senator Moody's response to what was happening downtown. You know, that takes it to a whole other level. So we've got evolving things that are, are going on at all the time, but I think it's really important that it is named, that we have to name it and we have to say, yes, that is racism and you have to speak up. And if you don't speak up, then your silence is acquiescence in the legal world. So you have an obligation to, to speak up and say, stop that. Stop it. That hurt. True. And here's why. So, uh, Senator Tulajan, um, one of the things uh, with your background as, as running as a candidate for elected politics, obviously, is a little bit different than Senate becoming a senator and uh, in, in the process that that goes about it. You know, we often hear that. Um, you know, every political party, uh, maybe except for one, uh, the, the PPC, but every political party wants to increase diversity in their candidates. They want to, uh, you know, have a more diverse uh, caucus when they move forward. But then we've also heard that it's not that easy for people of color or BIPOC uh, individuals to, to get into elected politics. 
to be a politician, uh, to run in elections. Um, any thoughts on on what you faced uh, when you ran, and also just how we can break down some of these barriers for in in politics? Thank you, Paul. So, so when I ran, which was in uh, two thousand and eight. Um, we didn't really, as a Muslim woman, um, when I came out and said I was running, um, I didn't get a, like some people in my community were very, very happy, but some, they, they didn't like the idea. You know, I, I mean, here we are in Canada, even how a Muslim woman coming out of the home. And I, I remember I always quote this, this one uh, gentleman walked up to me and said, um, well, you know what, when you learn how to drive, you start off with a small car and you, then you move up and then you start st driving a big truck and you're jumping into the big league right away. And, and it was the community, while a lot of them were very supportive, very happy, there were some who weren't happy. But where I really had a big issue, and I'll probably get into trouble with um, when I say this, but these are conversations that we need to have. We need to take a look at ourselves. Uh, you know, as a community mm. and, and see where we're not supporting our people is. I remember going to a mosque in Mississauga and we wanted to give our flyers and the men all refused to take my flyer. And then I saw a candidate from the other party who was running, you know, in the riding next to me come, who was a Caucasian woman. And they literally went up to her and were, were almost hugging her and stroking her arm. And these were the same men who refused to take my flyer because as a Muslim woman, they didn't think it was appropriate for me to think of stepping outside of the home. And some of my volunteers wanted to go and fight. And I said, no, that's the one thing is, you know, when you get into politics, you have to control what you say. You have to cross your T's and dot your I's very, very carefully. Um, but, you know, when I when I became the senator and a lot of those people who didn't support me were those were the people that I reached out to in the beginning. And I'm very happy to say that currently we have a lot of women uh, you know, who have been elected to parliament who, and there's a lot of uh, um, young people, um, older people who think of politics now, who want to get into politics because they, they do see the possibilities. Because the one thing that I did do is the first few years, I was at every community event talking about the importance of being involved politically and making space for yourself. So I'm happy to see that that's been done. But um, there's also, you know, um, having the conversation that you have to be you have to have a really thick skin, um, you know, because people will come at you and more so. Um, it, it's very difficult, very difficult in, in, in the Western world being a Muslim. It's very, very difficult. And I, I know some of our children struggle too. Now, Senator, you just had mentioned how you, when you be first became a senator, that you reached out to communities uh, and, and were discussing of getting people active in, in politics. And so I'm wondering, you know, I'm thinking back to June 2020, uh, if I have the, the month correct, when we had uh, uh, the emergency debate uh, in, in the Senate on racism. We also had a committee of the whole with ministers there. Uh, you know, what, what was shocking to many uh, people in, in there uh, that we heard actual stories uh, from senators uh, that they have uh, faced racism since they became a senator, not only from the public, but even on Parliament Hill. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, throw this to Senator Moody if, if, if you want, but maybe others can jump in is has has there have you experienced or any expressions of racism since you became a senator, uh, not only in the public, but actually on Parliament Hill? 
So yes, I, I have a, a classic um, example for you. That day in December of 20, 2018, when I first turned up to East Block entrance to the Senate, to the meeting that had been pre-organized for me to be onboarded, to complete that process of onboarding, I was met at the, the door by the PPS um, at the entrance and told uns, quite unceremoniously that I had to wait outside. It was December, it was cold and it was uncovered. I explained who I was and why I was there and I, you know, explained that there were folks from this office coming to meet me. Um, I gave them the information they needed to make the contact to double check. And I waited 15 minutes. I was kept outside. I wasn't allowed to enter. I re-approached them three times and said, um, can I at least enter? In the meantime, the pages who were there to meet me were standing inside the door wondering where I was. Why had I not turned up? I was being held outside in the elements, if you will, by two gentlemen who didn't make any moves to contact any offices that I could see, were chatting with each other and were obstructive every time I approached them. On the third time that I approached them, the door was open and the pages who were standing inside happened to hear my name. Because I said yet again, I'm Senator Moody, I'm here for a meeting and they heard that and they, they stepped forward. There was no way for me to connect with them because I was physically being held outside. And I, you know, I often, I can only assume that this occurred because I look different, frankly. <laughs> uh, in their view, I did not belong. And so I was held outside. There are other ways for them to have dealt with me that um, could they could have applied. And I really worry about the average BIPOC Canadian who does not wear a pin or doesn't carry that ID turning up at the Senate door, how are they going to be treated? Because if I, turning up declaring myself a senator, was treated in this way, how will they be treated? So uh, if I can jump right in, it's interesting, uh, Senator Moody, because uh, my experience was that it took almost six months, uh, you know, for um, the protective services to recognize me. Every time I walked up to center block, they would say, can we help you? And I used to say, well, I'm a senator, you know, and uh, and I remember coming down once uh, out of the elevator and they in the in center block, there used to be this computer where they could do research. And and as I'm coming out, I see my face on that screen. So obviously somebody had been researching me. Um, it was quite common that when we went to caucus meetings um, in center block on the on the house side uh, for, you know, the guards to say, excuse me, you know, who are you? And so I got so used to it, I just just flash my Senate card at them. But I'd see others who didn't look like me just walk in without question mm. being asked. But yet I had to almost, uh, you know, on a regular basis prove my identity. And I think it happened recently too when I was uh, I, in one of the buildings and my staff was with me and she was very surprised that they didn't recognize me. I had to walk up to them and show them my card. That, uh, you know, it's me. Because, and like you, I, I was actually told uh, you know, oh, you don't look like a senator. And I said, what does a senator look like? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, had, I still don't know what a senator is supposed to look at. And I always tell them, I said, go walk the streets of Canada in the big cities and see, and see, look at the people that you see over there. 
Senator I have Boyd. a little different. Yeah. I have a Come little on. different story. Um, I was actually in through the door, <laughs> and uh, I was. It was my first week in the Senate, and one of the senior executives came into my office, and I was getting set up and things, and we were just having a conversation, and he asked what I, you know, what I did previously to, you know, like last week before I became a senator. And um, and I said I was a professor of law over at Ottawa U and and he was quite curious. He says, well, what were you teaching? I said, well, primarily indigenous law. And he and he looked at me and he was said, what? Aboriginal people take that? And I he went what he was doing is he was implying that indigenous people were not capable or smart enough to be taking law at the university. And it was like my the the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I, you know, like, okay, I'm now a senator. Can I get into a fight? <laughs> so that was, uh, anyway, it, uh, that, that was my yeah. welcome into the Senate. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always these, these kinds of experiences I think need to be recorded and I'm glad, I'm really happy you've shared them with us because, you know, narrative, personal narrative and systemic solutions do go hand in hand. So we had, and Paul mentioned this earlier, we had a historic debate in 2020 uh, on racism. And we all participated in it. I believe many senators spoke about it and it was powerful and it was emotional and it was gripping. But can I ask each of you very quickly, what has changed, if anything? Senator Atta Olajan, why don't you go first on that? I don't think much has changed. You know, the rhetoric was there. Um, it, it brings to mind, I think it's Shakespeare's quote from one of his plays, life, life is full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Um, I think if you even ask some of the people, uh, we had that debate, some might not even remember it. Um, I think it's just, I find what changed for me is that because I worked on so many issues, was so vocal, and I made a point of having conversations with the, you know, all the, the guards, the protective services that stand there, and, and uh, just talking to them and then talking to others, talking about being a senator, talking to about them, some of the work, like having conversations, um, you know, it kind of, oh, okay, she can speak, she knows what she's talking about. You know, and and it's sad that you have to uh, you have to do that, but uh, I think if you ask any of our colleagues if they remember that debate on racism, it's interesting to remember, uh, sort of find out how many of them remember that even. And I, I think we're still you know the same way. Some of us, uh, I'm, I I know that there's a couple of times when I talk about you know some Muslim issues or thing. I know there would be a few rolling of the eyes. I I don't have eyes at the back of my head, but I have staff who would see it and tell me. Um, mm. You know, so it, it it's it's there, and we we continue to have conversations. But I think the people that we want to um, to take a look at what is happening and that it, to admit that racism exists. Sometimes I wonder if they're even interested in those conversations or whether those conversations are making a difference. So, Senator Moody and Senator Boyer, do you believe those debates gave you lift in? In, in ways that you are engaging. So just to sort of point the question 
Senator Moody, you're engaged in institutional change inside the Senate, and Senator Boyer, you've, you know, you're you've got your hands full into institutional and syst and systemic racism in the healthcare system. Did that debate, you know, as Senator Atha Olajan has said, she that debate was there, and she keeps doing what she's doing. But in your case, did it give you a certain lift? I mean, I'm looking for light here. I mean, that has to. Let me give you some light. <laughs> so these are my anecdotal impressions. But what I'd say is I think there has been some movement, not enough, but there has been some movement. One thing I'd say is it's become clearer who our allies are, who, who are the individuals mm -hmm. who are willing to work with us to make a culture shift here. Um, and because I believe the onus of dealing with systemic racism is not just with BIPOC senators or BIPOC Canadians, it's with all Canadians, all senators. And so allies stepping forward and becoming clear to us who we can work with and how we can partner and how we can have these discussions. I think that's happening now uh, a lot more, uh, certainly in the involvement in the work that, that I was part of as in the working group on diversity and inclusion and uh, and subsequent work and discussions. At the institutional level, I would say that it's my sense there is greater sens sensitivity around these issues, um, that senators are maybe talking more freely, um, more raising these issues in their speeches, in, in their considerations, perhaps a little bit more. Again, this is anecdotal and this is my judgment system, I, but, but I feel that there has been um, some increased awareness and, and certainly more dialogue and some momentum to move on a culture shift that I think we are all feeling is necessary in the Senate. Point of light there, Senator Boyer. Yes, um, I tend to agree with both senators. Um, there's been a lot of hand wringing. I've seen this the same thing happen with uh, the whole issue of sterilization. When a report I did in 2017, the government and everybody was hand wringing and oh so sad, and this has to stop. It can't go on. It can't go on. Um, it's a terrible thing. So 2017, and then where's the action plan? No action plan. We have it again, 2018. We have the same thing in 2019, 2020 and 21, and carries on every year. So, I mean, I think that the, the debate that we had was a debate. But for me, I like to see an action plan. Let's see something happen. I, the Senate moves in and government and the Senate seem to move in geological time periods. <laughs> I tend to want to go a little quicker. Let's get stuff done. Let's just not talk about it. Okay, that's a great idea. Let's put it into action. How can we do that? Senator Moody has come up with, um, uh, mentioned a very good, uh, all the work that she's she has uh, spearheaded with the diversity report. We are now working as a subcommittee that there's a a good subcommittee on diversity within the Senate. I'm hoping that this is going to be, you know, one more step. Uh, it never goes fast enough for me, but one more step in the right direction. So I would say that, yes, Senator Tulajan, there's been a lot of hand wringing and not much done. But on the other hand, there has been slow progressions. And I agree. I have been hearing people being more aware and asking more questions. 
which is very good. And uh, that shows what, uh, you know, there is, there is an awareness to wanting to make some changes as well, individually, systemically. Um, I think that that is, is difficult and that we need more action plans, an action plan with a, a focus on getting a goal done <clears throat> or many goals done. Right. Can, can, I, can I just jump in? Just, this is, um, it's just a, something a little bit different is, is when I came to the Senate and you know how sometimes we sit late and they have to provide us dinner. Um, and I found out that uh, sometimes I couldn't eat because there was there was uh, pork, you know, or ham. And um, and I asked, I you know, and, and nobody had brought this up. But I, I went to the black crowd. I said, listen, you've got people here who do not eat pork and who do not eat ham. And he was he said, Senator, thank you for telling me that. So sometimes it's good to have these conversations and, and I know they're very mindful and they do they don't serve that anymore. But it's just it's just so many small steps, uh, Senator Omidwar. It's just so many small, small steps that we, yeah, we take, you know, that we are building on constantly. Um, so change is come in small ways. But again, like Senator Boyer says, not, not, not enough, not enough. So I think I'm hearing you all say that incremental change is maybe happening, but we're waiting for that transformational moment. And some of us felt that transformational moment was really in our reach in 2020. But I think, uh, you know, reality has stepped in. And my reality is that our time is fast creeping by. So back over to you, Paul. Um, well, thank you, Senator. I just wanted to, you know, sort of touch base a little bit in, in, in uh, you know, a question about the changing demographics, I guess, in the Senate and 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 maybe even in the House of Commons. And I and I just wanted to touch base on on one sort of aspect. You know, often people will say diversity is our strength, right? It, you know, and 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 that can be applied to corporations or charities or or whatever. But and and also in the in the political field. But I, I guess the question that I have is 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 diversity in and of itself good enough? Is representation good enough? Uh, this goes back to maybe Senator Boyer, your your sort of talk about uh, you know you need action plans, you need sort of action. But you know it, just by changing the demographics that we see, do, is that good enough to make the the lasting change we we want? Uh, Senator Moody, if you want to start with that. Well, I would start by saying that I think it's it's important somewhat. Um, there's no question that having uh, Minister Ahmed Hussein in in the House of Commons in the government and some staff at senior levels in the cabinet helped push the landmark policies for Black Canadians in Budget 2021. I, I, I lay that out there. Um, but does it change fundamental behaviors? Does it <laughs> enable the shift in culture within and and with how we build our policy? I believe that we we have larger issues to face that are intersecting with racism, issues on division, national unity, on what it is to be a Canadian, the issue of misinformation, all of these things and a number of other key ones that have emerged with the the recent events around the occupation, a number of issues have just bubbled to the surface that are bigger than racism, but all of them intersect with racism. So I think we're going to have to take a, 
a pretty wholesome approach, um, one that tries to look at and ask these questions to heal the divisions that we're seeing um, exist right now in our society. So I, I know that's not the, the question you asked, but I, that's where I think we are at. Um, yes, representation is great, but we have a bigger problem in Canada right now. Okay. So my last question, although I had so we had so many, but time is running out um, and I'm going to be particular about your your own connections to your community. I'm talking about when we're talking about racism, we're talking about anti-black racism, we're talking about racism against indigenous peoples, and we're talking about Islamophobia. So from, from your point of view, if you held all the levers of power, and you hold many, but not all, what is the one change you think this government should undertake to address particular issues of racism that are being experienced by your by your community. Let's start with Senator Boyer. Um, I think we have to look at the structure. I think until the structure is changed, then all of the other stuff won't won't change until the actual structure is changed. And this is something that I've talked about ever since ever because we have laws and policies legislation that's based on uh, inherent laws that have come up from the U.S. that were guardian and ward theories that created an inequity with Indigenous people for sure and Indigenous people were thought not able uh, capable of taking care of themselves so they needed to have a have a guardian and they were the wards but that changed within case law in the uh, 1980s with the Garen case with the fiduciary obligation so that didn't catch up with the law so we have the these laws that breed inequity that are the basis for the policies that we're using today and so that's why you have to go back to the structure have a look at the structure and see why why the structure is allowing these faulty policies to be applied when they're, they're it's not necessary so i've been an advocate on looking at the at the structural legal frameworks and seeing what we can do to um, tighten that up and make sure that it doesn't reflect unequal treatment between peoples and i think um, i think that would be a good start that will be a fabulous start. Senator Moody, your community, the black community, has historically faced in incredible disadvantages that are rooted in racism, and they continue to feel that, and you've talked about it often. So what's the one thing that you'd like to see the government do? Um, so it's it has to do with their approach mostly. Um, systemic racism is baked into the way we, we do things. It's baked into our society. It's baked into the foundations that underpin the society. It's baked into our institutions, our processes. I think that intentionality plays a really important role here. Um, 
I'd hoped that we'd talk about it a little bit more, so I'll talk about it now. <laughs> I think we need to adopt a new and refreshed approach to inclusivity as a government, as a country, as a society. And I think we need to reach out quite deliberately to bring on board all groups. Uh, yes, you talked about black Canadians. That's my particular interest, but I'd like to see broader than that to engage with all groups to get their point of view, to ensure that when we are building policies and when we are planning programs, we are reaching out to these communities to understand how we can best help them and how we can best deliver that help. Um, and, and not do some of what um, is fairly typical, well-meaning, lots of money put aside for an entrepreneurial program for black Canadians. Um, that has a process flaw that makes it inaccessible to most nice. black people. So, so yes. we need to be we need to be thinking about how we do what we say we want to do as well. Um, and I think that um, this intentionality really is need, needs to be broader than the government. It needs to be the public sector. It needs to be private private sector corporations. Um, we need to make sure that we embed this goal in all our systems, that we refresh, we do a, a, a refresh that says that um, we're going to look at how we align ourselves to engage people, to bring them on board, to elevate them, to take away the barriers that previously stood in their way. And some of them are well-meaning barriers. One barrier standing in the way of black Canadians, frankly, is is all the laws around language. Mm. Many blacks yeah. don't speak French. <laughs> I'm sure that's the case for many indigenous folks as well. And so that is a, a natural um, barrier that stands in the way of, of their participation in in public sector and government. And, and that's just one example. We need to be rethinking a number of these uh, system-based uh, foundational um, processes and approaches that we have as a country. Thank you. Senator Atha John. Islamophobia is on the rise. Uh, we had a summit, I believe the government had a, a conference on Islamophobia, but I don't actually know what's being done about it. And and so perhaps you could weigh in on what you would like to see done, because it is very much part of our 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 lived reality. Ask Muslims, they'll they'll tell you in 25 different ways how they experience it. And you've talked about it. But what is it that should be done outside beating our chests and, you know, aspirational performative words. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Islamophobia um, uh, conference. So nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about motion 103. Nothing, um, nothing happened. The Heritage Committee sat and uh, gave recommendations. Nothing happened. Let's talk about the obsession with what some Muslim women were there was a total of 30 women who wore the niqab where you cover your face and uh, you know and i always ask uh, uh, people why that obsession with what 30 women wore um, and why the obsession with women covering their heads don't we all cover our heads in winter and, and the other thing is that the joke among the muslim community is that we're all in niqab right now because we're all wearing masks <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, <laughs> do, we feel, do we feel threatened every time we see someone in, in a face mask? You know, we have these discussions where we will talk about what is wrong with this uh, society. We'll have people who will come forward, who will say what is wrong, what they would like to see change, but it's a conversation that will happen that day and it's forgotten. We need, there's many Muslims in, in, in politics and, and uh, it's what 1.5 million Muslims in Canada, 3% of the population. Yet a lot of them, we, I'm happy that our youth is having conversations. A lot of the people, the older ones, the first generation who came do not like to rock the boat and they will just keep quiet and whatever happens to them. And, and, and some of them I know take, take abuse, it's verbal abuse and they keep quiet because they feel, oh, it's, it's okay. We, we need to have, you know, and, and this was the other thing is when I got into politics, you, you look for mentors, there were no mentors. People ask me, well, who was your mentor? Oh, can I have a mentor? No, I didn't have a mentor. I was naive when I got into politics. And, and you know, I thought I'd be judged by, you know, what I have done, but sometimes you're not. It takes 30 seconds for a person to make their mind up about you, uh, you know, and sometimes it's your name. And it's interesting, uh, Senator Omidwar, that in my younger daughter, who's a lawyer, was having a problem getting an um, internship. She had mm. to go to South Africa. And a certain senator in the, in, told me in the Senate, and I was talking to him, and I said, listen, if you know, you know, she said, well, you know, maybe she should change her name. Oh. And uh, I went to my daughter and I said, I was told that Ataula Jan, you know, maybe, you should shorten it, or maybe even your first name is unusual. Her name is uh, Shanze. And uh, she said, you know what, mother? I will never want to work with a company that will not accept me for who I am. And I thought, bravo, that's what we need. And and I think maybe that's where the change is going to come because we were used to seeing politicians who, you know, will come out and talk. But when it comes to the time for action, no, we haven't seen. I, I haven't seen anything change for my community. And, and I remember as a, a senator going to Edmonton and there was a, where I spoke and there was a young girl, maybe about 10, 11, uh, a refugee from Somalia who was, who was wearing a hijab and who walked up to me afterwards and said, you know what, Senator, when I see you, I realize there's room for me in Canada. So change has come about, but we, we need to make serious change. We need, you know, the most killings in a G7 country for, for Muslims has happened in Canada. And people are not aware of it. When I even talk to my colleagues, they will say, oh, really? We, we need that awareness. We need, you know, we need to have these discussions, but then something needs to be done. Don't just ask me to stand up and say, I feel this and this has happened to me and this is happening to my community. No, do something about it. Take some concrete steps. So I feel right now with where Muslims are concerned, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. But the next day it's forgotten, you know, that family that was killed because they were Muslims. You know, all the politicians went because for them it was a photo opportunity. I did not go. I didn't. I do not want a photo opportunity. I do not want to use that family. I was in conversations with the uncles and I was in conversations and even till recently I'm asking, how is that little boy doing? We need to stop using Muslims as props. Well, what is clear is that we need to have many more of these conversations and I have kept you beyond the time that you gave me and I apologize for that, but we could 
in fact carry on for a very long time. I want to thank you all and if I I'm an optimist, uh, so I, I detect a note of some optimism and I think it was in something all of you said, but particularly Senator Ataola John when she referred to young people. I believe the conversation that this generation is having is very different from the conversation that the 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds are having. And for them, race is maybe not such an important const construct as it was in our lives. That's my hope. Thank you so much, Senators, for your time. This has been wonderfully insightful. And thank you to our listeners. And I'm sure you have questions. Please send them to us. And better still, you may have subjects you want this podcast to explore. Please write to me on Twitter or my Senate email, and we will be sure to take you up on your ideas. And thank you, colleagues, once again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.